Welcome to the Recruitment Radio podcast. My name's Dan Dor. Every month I'll be interviewing a different recruitment leader, asking them to share some wisdom and some stories from their distinguished careers. I'll also be asking them to select and talk us through four pieces of music, and they will feature in my monthly playlist available through the Power Hive on Spotify. The playlists I've put together are multi-generational, so I've chosen tracks from the last five decades. Um, they're also multi-genre, anything really. I'm into disco, house, funk, pop, techno, and have been chosen by me in response to the common disagreement of what music should be playing at work. I've really enjoyed putting them together. This month's guest is uh, Mike Smith, one of my favourite people in recruitment and fellow Mancunian, and also one of the founders of the, the Power Hive. I'm going to give you a bit of background, Mike. So you studied for a law degree, then went into legal, legal recruitment first. I think some of your mates were doing really well in IT recruitment, found your way into the IT recruitment space. You were working, uh, first of all, permanent desk? I did, yeah. I was permanent IT, yeah. Three years. And then Norfolk, I think my patch was. Wow. Yeah. It really yeah. happening in, yeah, in IT recruitment right. in Norfolk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then in 1996, you became contracts ma- manager with a, a, a newly started brand, Huxley Associates, um, in yeah. the S3 group. That's correct. A brand which you would eventually become managing director of? That's right, yeah. I think that, that was in about 2004, maybe. Very fast grow, growing business, uh, fast, fast expansion as well into Europe and Asia uh, and also the US. I think all the way through to 2008, where the, the credit crunch saw a, a bit of a restructure. That's right. Yeah, I think um, by about 2009, uh, there was a consolidation. The company was S3. Uh, take Huxley as an example. I was running businesses from Hong Kong to San Francisco. It just wasn't viable. So what we did is we took the four main brand heads and they became S3 managing directors of different regions around the world. So you were made managing director of all six S3 brands at the time in the in the UK and Ireland. That's correct, yeah. In 2011, you studied at Columbia Business School and in, in your words, uh, a real game changer as it added technique to everything that you'd learned so far and gave you the ability to deliver change in a more structured and sustainable way. After 19 years with S3, you left in 2015. To 2015, yeah. 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 Um, and you're now an active NED for uh, three recruitment companies, yeah. as well as an investor in some tech platforms. Yeah. Uh, and interestingly, also a blockchain business that measures success of projects against uh, the United Nations, I think, 2030 sustainability goals. That's right, that yeah. Right? It's pretty pretty exciting stuff. Yeah. It's, it could uh, be pretty, world changing. Pretty cutting edge, that. Yeah. Uh, I'll keep it. Recruitment related. Yep. Um, I've got such fond memories of working for S3 myself. And I, and I always thought it was a really smart business model for two main reasons. I think firstly, in the way that they had multiple brands competing in the same space to really <clears> dominate <throat> market share and advertising, you know, monopolize yep. advertising. Yep. Uh, and secondly, really because of the way that they incubated recruiters and managed to then um, export them really successfully to, to, to put the right people in the right places to get international growth. Yeah. As the MD of the UK, didn't you get really pissed off that all your people were constantly being poached, even if it was internally? Certainly at, at S3 UK, yeah. I mean, we've moved a huge number of people out to the US. I think over a four or five year period, I think it was 250 plus people with three years experience. 
just to actually have 250 people who've got three years experience is probably means a thousand people have come through the door. But, you know, it was all about the business growing and, you know, working in a business where people were seeing their career grow and having and having opportunities. You can't underestimate that was an attraction to get people in the business sure. as well. So yeah. it was disappointing in, in many ways, but it was also, it helped attract people in the first place. So part of the board with a, with a big Jet, yeah, basically. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Good stuff. Yeah. Let's um, let's let's move to your first piece of music. I asked you to select a track that was a, a standout track from your youth. Yeah. Um, what have you chosen and why? Well, the track that I've chosen is um, "Relax." Frankie goes to Hollywood. I think thinking about that, I think mean, back in the day, it's probably uh, seems unreal to um, this generation. But you, you know, me and my mates would sit around um, the cassette player with the with the tape in on pause. And you'd, take, you'd listen to the Radio 1's Top 40 and you'd pause it every time there was something that was a bit rubbish on, you know. I used to do that off Kiss FM here in, uh, here in London because right, okay. there used to be a DJ called Paul Travel Anderson. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Who, who was literally voted like number one club DJ for about a decade in the yeah. 90s. And yeah. It was just, it was a lot of US house music, etc. But used to really have a fresh cut up style and yeah, just, just Saturday 9 till uh, 11, just always recording it. And if yeah. I went out, I got my dad to record it. Right. And so a lot, a lot of the music was, you know, I would have liked the electro at the time. Uh, I would have liked a lot of the different chart music and a little bit of a Beatles fetish. But by and large, it was chart music that I would have listened to. And I can just remember the first time I heard Relax. It was just such a big sound. It was rich. It was powerful. It was like nothing I'd ever, never heard before. It was one of those tracks that was a disco killer for years. There was a lot of controversy um, around it. It went to number one twice. Got banned. It got it? banned by yeah. um, Steve, Steve, not Steve, Mike, Mike Reed yeah. Yeah. from Radio One. So this just kind of added to the whole, you know, I think as a 13, 14 year old, it was just like, this is the coolest thing. It was a bit deviant. It was a bit rebellious. You know, it, it had all these things, but it was, um, it's just such an amazing track. I think every now and again, I hear it dropped at a club or something. Still, it's one of those great tracks that, you know, it just seems some music sounds old fashioned and some just sounds fresh. 30, 40 years later or whatever. And yes, yeah, so that's why I chose it. And I went to see them live, which was, uh, you know, um, when people say, what's the first band you went to see? What's the first, uh, you know, when you have that conversation, first band that you went to see? I actually went to see Leo Say with my mum because a mate dropped out, but I'm not kidding because <laughs> that's just not cool. So the actual first band I went you to see. That, yeah, yeah. Uh, the first band I went to see was um, was really, in my mind, was, uh, was Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Let's, let's listen to it. I'm excited. Go for it.
selection released 1983 uh, from the album Welcome to the Pleasure Dome I think their follow up, up hits about six months later Two Tribes That's right. yeah. Two Tribes yeah. Go to War also went to number one and actually it gave Relax a second kind of uh, way because it was about to drop out of the chart and it ended up going back up to number two. Oh, is it two? number two number two, two. Right. With, okay, with okay. two Stand tribes as number right. one okay so gotcha. really dominated yeah. the, the, the charts we were talking a bit about obviously S3 and, and, and again for me S3 is very revered and renowned for its strong culture. I always saw you as someone who was very much a key influencer to some of the culture in, in, in reminding the board and a lot of the senior management at the time that actually culture is fundamentally about trusting people. Yeah. And I think, you know, the recruitment industry has a difficult relationship in actually trusting people. Yeah. I think you've championed flexible working, for example, yeah. as a project. So... What insights could you share from your experience for some of the um, entrepreneurial business leaders out there and, and people who are building recruitment companies of how to, to create a successful culture? I think first and foremost, over the years I've been doing the job, you talk about trust in recruitment. I think have a good value proposition, have a service that the people that you're training to do it, the service that they're delivering, that they're proud of. And there's plenty of people that can earn money and make placements in recruitment, but after a period of time, if they don't feel good about the job that they're doing, if they're not getting repeat business, if they're not getting that trust from clients, then I think ultimately it eats away at them and they, and they won't yeah. stay within the business, no matter, how, no matter how much money they earn. It has a negative conversation with the culture as well. Though, yeah, you well, that's, yeah. that's right. So I think that is a bedrock to the culture. Am I proud to work of in this business? Yeah. Am I proud of what I do? I think, if you can, I think that that's probably the first tent peg that you need to get in because I think everything else comes around that. It's disingenuous to talk about having good culture and values internally if, it, if it's not replicated externally. They shouldn't really be, to my mind, the values should be internal, external. They should be the same thing. It's not the hat that you put them on take off depending on who you're talking to. So really that would be the first part of it. I think the second part of it would be, I think we were pretty good at this, was around the culture is it's not something that can be imposed it's something that should be discussed and spoken about and something where you where the management and the people within a business have an input into that culture and a, and a direction because it's that if you can do that you can work together to establish the culture that you want then we all then everybody's equally responsible for whether it's up, upheld you know was that a kind of journey that you had to go through together with the management team there not imposing the culture and actually kind of like you can still steer we, we, it we haven't put into it but you have to you know it's, it's people that make a culture you know? absolutely we had a great consultancy come in and you know i've done work with lots of different consultancies over the years there's a company called deacon rossett and it was a, it was it was a big big change for s3 and they showed us how to run uh, visioning workshops get goal alignment how to create company values and, and all that sort of stuff all that good stuff but it was, it was participation, you know, and it's, it's funny, I had so many times previously, I had come up with something that looked pretty good, but I was trying to force it through the business and it just didn't work. So, you know, having an inclusive collaborative, collaborative culture 
it's got to be genuine. That's got to be part of it. You've got to make sure that you involve people in it. And if they do that, they'll own it, you know, and, and they'll take part. I always think about, you know, taking the temperature of your culture through getting anonymous feedback, yeah. you know, surveys, li- you know, listening to people, basically. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It doesn't mean you have to, you know, do everything because it's sometimes a bit of a moan fest of, you know, yeah. and a wish list of all the things that people would like. And if you stop, if you know, essentially you've got to know what you're good at yeah. rather than trying to provide everything that everyone else has because that's just a thankless task. Yeah. Gonna, yeah. But essentially, people do want to be listened to. Um, and if you can encompass that, I think that builds a lot yeah, absolutely. Well, that's the sessions that we learned to do, and they were um, they were very much about facilitating that and making sure they're not a moan fest, uh, but making sure that you actually work out, you come out of it understanding the few things that you need to work on urgently. Yeah, great stuff. Uh, yeah, going to come to your second piece of music. Okay, so this is a tune that reminds you of your your early career when you were rising through the ranks. You know, in yeah. this dynamic, fast paced recruitment business. Yeah, um, what have you chosen? I've chosen Can't Get You Out of My Head, Kylie Minogue. And why that one, Mark? I, I actually remember you singing this. This is just, yeah, classic, <laughs> yeah. classic you. Uh, um, grabbing the mic. It's your karaoke track, It's right? my karaoke track, yeah. It really reminds me of a, you know, a, a, really, a really tough time in my recruitment. Let's hear it. Can't get you out of my head, Kylie of uh, every schoolboy's dream at the time um, released in 1991 I remember you insisting that I dropped this several times uh, as, as a as a DJ and uh, and whipping up a frenzy on the dance floor with your you know with your energy around it yeah why did you choose it it's a cracking tune to start off with I think it's just you know I love Kylie um, and it was on that it's one of those that's whether it's clubs, pubs, bars, or whatever. It just brings a smile to everybody's face. It certainly brings a smile to my face. But it's got a, you know, it's got a, a part in my um, in my recruitment history, very special part. Just after the sort of nine eleven and the bottom dropped out of the market, we just signed up on a huge office in King William Street. I think about one hundred and seventy staff it would have fit. Bottom fell out of the market. I think you know it was. I think we probably had about forty 
50 staff, you know, in this huge uh, air hangar of an office. Times were really, really tough. The, um, the, the amount of jobs out there was just was so scarce. We'd just come off the back of the, the Millennium Bug when it had been really, really busy. So it had gone from hugely, you know, it was literally overnight. It was a tap bubble, basically. Yeah, tap just switched off. Yeah. You know, the dot-com bubble, the whole thing it went from being really, really busy to just tumbleweed blowing around, you know, blowing around the place. Just after we literally three weeks ago moved into this huge office to expand. So it was this huge inflection point, this big shock. And it was really, really tough times. Um, we, In terms of um, doing the job, we went from having multiple, multiple jobs, people earning loads of money, uh, taking clients out on lavish lunches, big weekends away, all the rest of it. And it just had to be replaced with a pint of pint mentality overnight, you know, whether it was client entertainment or whether it was lunch clubs or the, the very few that ever happened. Pie and a pie. Yeah, 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 exactly. The banking yeah. In London. There was a, a pub around the corner called the Red Lion with this dingy little basement. Um, we must have spent, I reckon, 18 months to two years all working really, really hard during the course of the day, literally getting nowhere, you know. Um, Thursday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, anybody fancy a pint? Pretty much everybody going down there, down into this dingy little basement and um, uh, karaoke. Um, everybody had their own their own tune. We'd spend, you know, two, three evenings a week belting out Kylie Beam, um, my song, which I was really rather good at, um, if I say so myself. Uh, but there were, although it was really, really, really tough times, it was probably some of the most memorable times. I think people were the most humble at the time. People were the nicest to each other. They, yeah. did, they collaborated more yeah. because every kind of job, every kind of sniff of an opportunity really meant something. Find out who you are, don't you, with the tougher times? Yeah, exactly. Do, exactly. I mean, you said you're absolutely right. The demand for recruitment services is essentially linked to confidence in economies, yeah. which, which drives job, job creation. Um, and in your career, that wasn't the only recession that you worked through. I, I know there was also this, you know, the, the credit crunch in 2008 depending on who you talk to as well, you know, many economists are saying or arguing that we, you know, we might be getting towards the end of this economic cycle. Yeah. What advice would you therefore give recruitment business owners on, on how to not only survive, but even thrive in a, in a recession? Because I think you just alluding to there that, you know, some of the things that you were kind of doing, working a bit harder, yeah. kind of getting nowhere. But yeah, well, you know, if, if you were to be a recruitment uh, business owner who's a bit worried about what's, what's coming up, um, what can we do right now to uh, to combat? Um, well, I'm a big believer in building a business in a down in a you know a, a recession or a down market is is the way to go. Or I've, I'd look at it a different way. If I've been in recruitment for 27 years, if there's been nine good years in that, actually big years, I'd be surprised. So for me, the norm two thirds of the time is difficult market conditions. So I think first and foremost, anybody that's you know in this for the good times. They're not the majority of the time, okay? So I would base your um, the development of your business based on a bad market, yeah. you know, um, or, or tough trading conditions. And that goes back to what I said before, based on your service level being so good that when the clients have got choice, that they're going to choose you. Um, because that probably describes most of the, you know, um, describes most of the time. I think also building it during that period, people... Respect the, uh, respect the company more. Uh, yeah, can have more of a, a caring culture. 
can trust people more. There's more collaboration goes on. So, yeah, I think if you were, I think certainly for S3, the tough time between 2001 and 2004, sorry, not S3, for Huxley, 2001, 2004, meant when the market conditions returned, we were, we were so good at what we did. A solid team that's playing together. So solid. We just flew. And, you know, even within S3, other key teams couldn't catch us. We just, we were trebling profit every year. But all that was really the foundation that had been put in, 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 in that tough market. I think the important thing to remember sometimes is, you know, real, real tough times are only ever temporary anyway. Yeah. You can make a market in recruitment, right? You know, if you, if you stay niche, specialist, um, then, you know, there's always good business to be. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's, um, let's go to your, uh, your third track. Yeah. It's, uh, I asked you for something that holds personal significance to you. Um, You've chosen a Mancunian anthem. Yeah. So please explain you know, what it tells the listener about you. Yeah. Yeah. So um, shall I give you the track name? Yeah. Please, yeah. yeah. Please okay. Come. Step on. Happy Mondays. Absolute yeah. classic tune. In fact, I think I remember the Huxley 10th anniversary party. I think you guys might have dropped it. We did indeed. You did. Yeah. Little scraps for the Yeah. 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 Nice. Yeah. Uh, I think this is just an amazing track. It's just, it, it's so Mancunian. It says so much about the sort of attitude of, of Manchester. So, yeah, when I left in, I left um, for university in 1986 when I left Manchester and it was pretty grim place, I've got to say. You know, the Smiths were charting all the time. It wasn't something that I particularly liked. It was a bit down for me. I went off to university and, I, you know, I'd left Manchester in what a place that was kind of really down at heel and not really, you know, not, not really considered to be anything of any significance within the UK. People in London would just take the mickey out of you for being a man and whatever. People mocking your accent. So they, they thought Coronation Street, Smiths, you know, that's what it's all about. Uh, by the time we 1990 came, I can remember bringing some friends up from London, back up to Manchester. And Manchester, it felt like overnight, but it suddenly become the coolest place on the planet. You know, just telling people that you're from Manchester was like, oh, you must have somehow be cool. You know, and you had the whole Manchester thing going on, Mad- Manchester thing going on. You had the combination of the house music scene exploding with the Hacienda and the indie scene. So it was kind of two scenes running concurrently. So I kind of left Manchester thinking I want to get out of this place. Um, and then within a few years, I'm going around telling people how proud I am to be from <laughs> there, you know. And I can remember taking my mates into um, into the Hacienda, and they're a bit scathing, you know, they're from London, a bit scathing. What's it all about? Yeah, 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 yeah you yeah, know, right, yeah, yeah, of course. Scallymanks and all this kind of stuff. And we get in there, and it couldn't have happened any better. We get in there, and Stepon's playing, and the whole of the Happy Mondays are stood on a table in one of their moves, miming along yeah. to their own, you know, to their to their own tune. And for me, it was just a, it was a, a sort of a falling in love with Manchester again. It was a, it was a pretty cool moment.
song by the Happy Mondays, taking you back to 1990 when house music was yeah. uh, was, was becoming popular in the UK. Great beats, killer killer piano line as well. So, uh, Michael, your nickname is legendary. Really, mm-hmm. it's kind of mythical. You know, for many years I actually thought um, you gave it to yourself. So, you know, a self-proclaimed nickname when usually people give you yeah. kind of tag. You've recently said that's not the case. That's not true. So, uh, but yeah, the king of fun. Yeah. Sometimes shortened to KOF. Yeah. Right. How yeah. did that happen? Um, I think it was out at a lunch club once. There's a guy called Pasha Hussein, a Jamaican guy, I think. And he started out, he was just going around the table and I was, you know, being a little bit crazy out in the lunch club or whatever and a bit overexcited. And I think he called me the Minister of Fun because it was I was always arranging all the events for the company and, you know, and, and making sure a day out or a night out was uh, was exciting. So I was always heavily involved in the incentives and really pushing Gary Eldon to spend any, any more amount of money possible to make the, our incentives and our sort of rewards more happening and more whatever. I think they were some of the best, the best things about, you know, the, the, the company at, at that particular time was you got to kind of really bond with people that are in other offices, etc. Yeah. that you wouldn't usually, and you're all kind of that feeling of being together one and usually always to a very cool soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was you putting the strings in, right? That, Orchestrating and... That was, yeah. Probably getting in trouble for spending a bit too much money on having a good time. Yeah, right? and, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Gary was always slightly vexed, but he used to enjoy the times as well. So, so Ibiza. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I remember jetting in on one of these, and um, I mean, it's quite a sizable crew together, right? We had uh, two weeks on the trot. Okay. And um, we said, Where are we going, Mike? And you're like, Well, let's all go to Pasha. Let's right? go to Pasha. Yeah, that's right. So, and, uh, probably one of my Do proudest- we need to buy a ticket? I think I asked you. Do we need to buy a ticket, Mike? Nah, nah, you'll be all right, mate. You'll be all right. You're, you're with me. Yeah. yeah. So uh, went, up, went up to the door of Pasha. And what was it? Yeah, and said to the, you know, I said to the VIP people, I said, yeah, Mike Smith plus 110, please. Mike Smith plus 110. You know, and um, and then we did it again the next week. Yeah. You know, did it, it again the next way. week. But probably an even prouder moment was we went to space the next day. And as we're going in, they said, are you Mike Smith? It's like, yeah, I am, yeah. So uh, small things, you know. Uh, you know you really made it. Yeah, you know, I know I've made it. Exactly. And the, and the person on the door at space is asking, is asking me who I am. If you had to listen to uh, one album for the rest of your life, you obviously get quite bored of it. Yeah. Just one album for the rest of your life, uh, what would you choose? Oh, that's a good question. You didn't give me any prep on this either, did you? One of either two. Talking Heads, Stop Making Sense. Nice. The live, um, you know, the the live one. Or Stone Roses' uh, first album. Gone with uh, the new wave indie kind of like like that. Quite electronic as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trademark. Okay. Imagine it's Monday morning. This is your fourth track now. Yep. Okay. It's raining outside. It's dreary. Yep. You know, you're a, you're a bit pissed off. You know, you go into the office and you just feel that dour mood. You know, yeah. everyone's like shuffling pieces of paper. You know, yep. you know they should be getting on the phone. So you, you want to play them a piece of music. Just get them, just get them you know, riled up a little bit. Get, get, get some emotion uh, yep. flowing, etc. What are you going to play and why? What we're going to play and why? Okay, I'm going to play in the club, in DAC Club, 50 Cent. I think this was the thing about if you take people away. I remember I was going on a trip to Milan and I was always quite big on trying to give, make sure that when people came home for a trip, they'd have a theme tune, something that they would remember because I knew later on I could tap back into that when I wanted to lift the mood. So when they arrived at the hotel, everybody had the whole lyrics on their bed 
the hotel had put them in there in Milan of, of in the club. Nice and so we so we all had them and we'd go out and we'd all be having a few drinks and we'd all learn to sing the song by the end. So if I ever needed to lift the mood for a few months after that, it was just play the first bit of that and everybody was back smiling again and happy. Let's get smiling and happy. And what a start it is to a track. Go, 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 it's your birthday. We gon' party like it's your birthday. We gon' sip a cardi like it's your birthday. And you know we don't give a fuck if that's your birthday. You'll find me in the club, bottle full of bub. Look, mommy, I got the eggs. I'm getting the taking drugs. I'm in the having sex. I ain't in the making love. So come give me a hug. You're in the getting rough. You can find me in the club, bottle full of bub. Look, mommy, I got the eggs. I'm getting the taking drugs. I'm in the having sex. I ain't in the making love. So come give me a hug. You're in the getting rough. When I pull up out front, you see the Benz on do uh-huh. When I roll 20 deep, it's 20 knives in the club Niggas heard I fuck with Dre, now they wanna show me love When you sell like Eminem and the hoes, they wanna fuck But homie, ain't nothing change, hold down, G's up I see exhibit in the cut, they nigga roll that weed up roll that watch how I move, you mistake before I play up here Been hit with a few shells, but I don't walk with a limp In the hood, in the lay, they saying 50, you hot They like me, I want them to love me like they love pop But holla in New York, the niggas to tell you I'm low my plan is to put the rap game in the choke I'm full of focus, man My money on my mind Got a meal out the deal And I'm still in the grind Now shorty says she feelin' my style She feelin' my flow A girl from Woody, they buy And they ready to go I'm in the club Bottle full of bub Look, mommy, I got the head Sick of in the take drugs I'm in the having sex I ain't in the making love So come give me a hug If you're in the getting rough You can find me in the club Bottle full of bub Look, mommy, I got the head Sick of in the take drugs I'm in the having sex it was uh, In The Club by 50 Cent, released in 2003. Actually won the Grammy Award for Best Rap Song that year. Lovely selection. Well, um, that's nearly all that we've got time for uh, uh, this month. Just before we go, Mike, kind of, you know, you've in the senior management and on the board of uh, one of the most successful um, recruitment companies for, for a good number of time. So, you, you know, there's... There's a lot of stories that I'm sure uh, you can't tell on this radio show. <laughs> I don't want you to get anyone into trouble, uh, least of all yourself. But I am going to ask you, put you on the spot, Finch, and um, you know, give us a funny story, Mike, because that's what you're good at. A couple, a, a couple give, of, give, give, give me a funny story. A couple of quick funny stories, uh, both on the same sort of theme on, around client meetings. Funny or just so embarrassing, it's not true. That's funny. Uh, yeah, but being on um, two client meetings where a couple of funny things happened. Well, one of them I'm sat with, uh, both actually with two female recruiters, two separate recruiters. One of them, um, we sat there, we're both taking notes throughout the course of the meeting. And just as we're wrapping up, the client puts the hand over and flips around the person who I'm with's book to have a look at it. And it's just a load of pictures of herself. She's not taken any notes. <laughs> she just sat down doing images of herself, probably about 15, 20 drawings of herself. Needless to say, didn't get the win the business. Uh, I, I, he, did, he just actually turned it around and didn't say anything. And we just carried on as if it hadn't happened. Brilliant. So I wanted to crawl under a rock on that one. And a second, a second funny one was actually at a client. And at the end of it, so she starts answering. He's asked her a question. And she said, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to eat too much carbohydrate. I'm going to the gym quite a lot, you know. I'm trying to drink a lot, a lot less than I have. I'm generally trying to do a lot more exercise. And the client's looking at her completely perplexed. She goes quiet. 
then he kind of twigs what she's what she said. He said, "No, I asked you about your rates, not your weight." <laughs> <laughs> Again, that was pretty no. pretty, pretty embarrassing time as well. I so way she deadpan answered. Yeah, yeah. Michael, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for uh, coming on and sharing uh, some of your stories, and uh, carry on being the king of fun. Carry on shining. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Cheers, Dad. Cheers. Dan. Cheers Dan. Thank you.